This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word and go with me. Uh, to the gospel according to Mark. Mark chapter number 16 and verse number 15. Uh, The Lord Jesus is speaking to his disciples. This is after his resurrection and before his ascension. And he is impressing upon them uh, the plan that he has for them. What is it that He would have them to continue to do before he ascends into the heavens and until he comes again. So this is a message that is very appropriate for us because oftentimes we are dissuaded or distracted or discouraged in our purpose and even lose sight of what our purpose is as a church and as a body of believers here in this world. So we come to verse number 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Lord again is speaking here after his resurrection. And he gives his disciples a very simple command. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And with this command, the Lord Jesus establishes his priority, and his purpose for his church. His purpose in coming to this earth was to seek, as he said, and to save that which was lost. And the Lord's purpose for his church remains the same today in this very hour, that we would declare the soul-saving message of the gospel The message of the gospel is the message that flows from the heart of God. This is the very essence of what it is that God is desiring to do and communicate to a world that needs him so desperately. This message is dear to him. It offers the only hope for the plight of humanity. It expresses the love of God. For all people. And all people need to hear that. It reveals God's purpose of redemption in the world and the work that he has done to bring about their salvation. The gospel reveals the depths of his mercy and his grace. It displays the magnitude of his mighty power. And it testifies concerning his righteousness and his judgment. It is God's essential message to man. Now we've heard the word essential used many, many times in the last few months, have we not? And last week we noted the essential book. That's the Bible. Uh, That is the book that we need. The message of the Bible, the theme of the Bible, is the message of the gospel. And that is the message 
that was so important that the Lord Jesus commanded his disciples that they go and preach it to every creature. It is God's desire that every person hear his message, the message of salvation. In Romans chapter 10, I ask you if you would to mark that place in your Bible, if you'll turn there with me to the book of Romans chapter number 10. The apostle Paul explains how a person or an individual would be saved from their sins and come to faith in Christ through the message of the gospel. And in verse number 9, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Notice if you would in verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? This is, this is the very desire of the Lord Jesus. That all people, that every creature would hear the message of the gospel. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And in order that they might hear, the Lord Jesus sent his disciples to preach the gospel. How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Oh, if there's anything our world needs today, it's glad tidings, isn't it? Good news. That's what the gospel means. Good news. And it's good news to a world drowning in a sea of bad news. As we think of this message that is essential, we're going to note three things this morning. First of all, the message that must be heard, the message that must be heeded, and then finally the message that must be heralded. Now, I want us to note, first of all, the message that must be heard. It is God's will for people to hear the message of the gospel. That's why he commanded his disciples to go into all the world. And there, preach the gospel, he said, to every creature. God wants all people to hear the message of the gospel. Romans 10, 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? It is God's desire that everyone hear the message of the gospel. It is absolutely essential. Why is it essential, you may ask? Because all people are sinners. Born in their sin, condemned in their sin, headed to an eternity without God in an awful place called hell. And so into this world of bad news comes the abounding good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the message? It's the message that God loves you. 
It's the message that God sent his son to die for you. And if you will believe on him, he will save you and forgive you of your sin and give you an eternity in heaven. What a glorious, glorious message. I want to ask you this morning to consider with me the eternal destiny of your soul. There's no doubt in, in this congregation and those who are watching on, online, a number of you already know that you're on your way to heaven. Thank God for that. But there may be some who are here this morning or those who are watching who are not sure of the eternal destiny of their soul. I want to invite you to consider that with me just for a moment. Also, if you are a believer and you know where you're going when you die, I want to ask you to consider the eternal destiny of those around you, meaning those in your family, those that you work with, those who live in our community, your neighbors, those that you see in the grocery stores and the shopping centers. Would you consider their eternal destiny? Would you consider the command that God has given that all people would hear the message of the gospel? You know, in our world today, people spend so many or so much, <clears throat> excuse me, so much of their time making plans. Uh, people are planning for their vacation. Uh, they're planning for uh, their children's education fund. They're planning uh, for their retirement. But many do not plan for the one event that comes to all of us. That is the event of our death and of the eternity that follows. And so may God help us today to consider this event that comes to us and where we will spend eternity. We live in critical times, but many remain unconcerned or unaware of how it is that they may receive eternal life and be with God forever. And so this morning, I want you to look with me into the scriptures and I want you to consider this thought of your eternal destiny. This is a message that must be heard. We begin in Ephesians chapter two and verse number eight. In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul is writing to a group of people who at one point did not believe upon the name of the Lord, but they heard the message of the gospel and became believers in Christ and received eternal life. In Ephesians chapter number two, the Apostle Paul in verse number eight explains to them how it is that they receive this gift of eternal life and how it is that you and I may receive it. Now there's something deep within all of us, uh, within our human nature, that would cause us to desire to seek the approval of God or standing with God based on our own actions and our own deeds. In other words, if we're gonna to get to heaven, there must be something we must do. Well, the Apostle Paul, dispelled, he dispels that myth in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8 when he makes this statement, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. In other words, there is nothing that you can do to earn salvation. There's nothing that you can do to put yourself in a position of good standing with God. By the way, if there's nothing I can do to earn that favor in the beginning, then as a believer, there's nothing I can do to keep that favor. 
That favor is unmerited. It is the grace of God that is bestowed upon me. He goes on to say, it is the gift of God. What is salvation? It is not a work that you and I perform. It is a gift of God. He imparts to you and I a gift. Then he says in verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is a gift. And in order for you and I to have a gift, we just simply have to do one thing. We have to receive it. You see, when a gift is presented to us, it is given uh, to us by one who loves us. It, it is given to one who not only loves us, but cares enough about us to have gone and purchased something that they believe would be meaningful to us, and they present it to us, no strings attached. If there are any strings attached, it's not a gift, it's a work. What we need to understand about salvation, it is the gift of God. And it was purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The payment was his blood that he shed upon the cross of Calvary. And God purchased that gift for you and I so that you and I might receive the gift of everlasting life. When it comes to salvation then, and this gift, the only way to receive it is by faith. It is by believing. There was a man who asked Paul one day and his companion Silas, what must I do to be saved? And the answer came to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Believe, that's it. Not turn over a new leaf, not perform a series of works, not follow uh, a list of uh, religious obligations or rituals, but simply to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, salvation is a gift. The second thing I want you to understand about salvation is that God loves all people. You see, salvation is a gift that is given out of the heart of God, by the hand of God, because of the action of His Son. And he gives it and offers it to us because he loves all people. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3 and verse number 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. That, that word so, the very small word, two letters in our alphabet, so is the best word we can find in the English language to describe the depth and the width and the magnitude and the riches of the love of God. In other words, there's really no word that we have that can describe it. So we use that word, so. God so loved the world. And you're here today. That means you're a part of the world. God loves you. That's the message of God. He loves you and he desires that you would be saved. He has come, he has intervened, he has engaged himself in, in, into the battle for your soul so that you would not perish, but that you might have everlasting life. God desires that all people be saved. He loves you. Next, we note that all people have sinned you see, we've all have, we all have a, a problem. In fact, we have lots of them. 
they manifest themselves in, in different ways in our lives, but really at the root of it all is just one major problem that must be dealt with, and that is the problem of sin. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. Do you know that no one had to teach you how to lie when you were a child? No one had to teach you how to throw a, a tantrum or to rebel against your parents or to cheat or to say unkind things. No one ever had to teach you how to do that. You did it because it came naturally to you. The reason it came naturally to you is because you are a sinner. David, the psalmist, wrote, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Here's what David was saying. I am the child of two sinful people. And because I inherited that sin nature, I therefore am also a sinner. You see, God made man perfectly. Adam and Eve made perfectly in the garden. He breathed into their nostrils the breath of life, and they became living souls. But the moment that they sinned against God, that spiritual life that God gave them left them. And though they had physical life, they had no spiritual life. And all the children of Adam's race, that's all of us, are born in that same condition without spiritual life. And so what we learn here that all of us are sinners. And we also learn another truth. The sin must be paid for. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death. Now we all understand what the word wage means. Many of you go to work and you labor for a certain number of hours, some more, some less, and you labor for a certain hourly rate. And at the end of the week, you expect to receive your wages. That is what you have earned. It is what you deserve. Do you know what the Bible teaches about what you and I have earned in in our sinful condition, we have earned our death. The wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, friend, and all of us will come to that moment, but also eternal death, spiritual death. And at the end of our lives, if we do not know God, if we have not dealt with our sin, if we have not come to him, the Bible teaches clearly and plainly that we're going to spend eternity in the place called hell. You see, there are only two destinies for the soul of man. Number one is heaven. That's where we all want to go, I hope. There's only one way to get there. That's through Jesus. Number two is hell. And those who reject the message of the gospel, those who do not respond by faith to the message of the gospel will spend an eternity in hell. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 21 and verse number eight, but the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see, the Bible tells us it is appointed unto men once to die. But friend, it is not appointed unto you to die twice. If you reject the message of the gospel, however, you will experience the second death. You see, sin must be paid for. 
And the good news is that Christ paid for our sins. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, paid for your sin and for mine. Notice, if you would please, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. The Bible says, but God commendeth his love toward us. The word commendeth simply means he demonstrated it, he proved it, he, he did more than say it, <laughs> he showed it. He demonstrated and commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means he died in my place. He suffered my death. He suffered the judgment of my sin upon him. You see, the Bible teaches us that when the Lord Jesus was in the garden and he prayed, uh, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. That cup was the cup of our sin. And the Bible says that he uh, who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. When the Lord Jesus Christ was hanging upon the cross and the darkness descended upon him and he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When he endured all the suffering and the dread and the anxiety of, uh, of being separated from his father and bearing the iniquity of our sin, I want you to know that he suffered our death. He died in our place. He took your death upon himself. He took your sin upon himself. And when he shed his sinless, perfect blood, he satisfied the wrath of a holy God upon our sin. They lowered him from the cross. They carried him to a tomb and they placed him in that tomb. And on the third day, Jesus Christ, the son of God, arose from the dead and came triumphantly out of that tomb. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 expresses it this way to us in verse number three, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. He died for you and for me, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present. When, when the apostle Paul wrote this, he said, most of those 500 are still alive today. Not one of them lifted their voice to object. In fact, no one lifted their voice to object. They knew it was a fact, an established fact, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had risen from the dead that he had come out of the tomb. He says, after that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all was seen of me as one born out of due time. You see, this is the essential message. Let's review it. God loves you. And he offers a gift of salvation to you. And in order to give it to you, he sent his son to die for you and make the payment for your sin. What a glorious message that is. That I don't have to die. Oh, I'll die a physical death, but I won't die an eternal death. And that I can have life, spiritual life, a life that I never had until the day I received it when I was seven years old. 
Some of you received it earlier. Some of you received it later in life than that. But aren't you glad you received it? That life that left Adam in the garden was restored because of Jesus' death on the cross for you and I. And now we have a hope in heaven, a hope that is steadfast and sure. And so may God help us to hear the message. Maybe you're hearing it today for the first time. Or maybe this isn't the first time, but, but maybe today for the first time, God by his spirit has your attention. And you're considering the eternal destiny of your soul and the message that you need to hear. There's a second thing we see here, and that is the message that must be heeded. It must be heeded. In other words, there's something you must do as a result of hearing it. To heed means to respond. To listen and to respond. In Romans chapter 10 and verse number 14, the Apostle Paul says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You see, once the preacher's been sent and once the message has been delivered, then they must respond by believing. That's what I mean when I say it's a message that must be heeded. They have to respond to it. In Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible tells us in verse number 1, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. He's speaking of those who perished in the wilderness. But the word preached did not profit them. Now the apostle says the word was preached to them. In other words, they heard the word. Someone was sent, someone declared the message, and they heard it but it did not profit them. In other words, it didn't seem to do any good. Why? Well, he writes in verse two, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You see, it must be responded to this message with faith, with belief, and with action. How should you respond to God's gift of salvation? <clears throat> you should receive it. How should you respond to God's message of salvation? You should believe it. So how do I receive it? Well, look back with me, if you would, please, into Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9. Here we're going to find out how to receive the gift. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now listen clearly, listen plainly. Your eternal destiny depends upon how you respond to the message of the gospel. 
You are not going to get to heaven because of the nature of who you are, what family you're born into, what church you attend, or what ritual you have observed. There is only one way to heaven, and that is to receive God's gift of salvation. And here the Apostle Paul expresses to us how to receive it. It begins in the heart. Now in verse number 9, he speaks of that which comes from the mouth, but he then moves to the heart, and that is the heart of the matter. Your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So what is it that we must believe in our heart? We must believe in the Lord Jesus and that God hath raised him from the dead. We must believe that he's the son of God. Do you believe that? You must believe that he died on the cross to pay for your sin. Do you believe that? You must believe that he came out of the grave on the third day and he offers eternal life to all who will receive it. Do you believe that? If so, the Bible says that you will confess him with your mouth. That means you will speak to him. And here's what you'll say. You'll say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And if I die without you, I'll spend eternity in hell. But I believe that you're the Christ, the son of the living God who died for me, made the payment for my sin, and you rose again the third day. And I'm asking you the best I can to save me of my sin, to forgive me, and to help me to serve you and to give me eternal life. And friend, if that's what you'll do, on the authority of God's word, the Bible said that you have heeded the message. And if you heed the message, you receive the gift. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, the apostle writes, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It couldn't be more clear. It couldn't have been communicated more strongly. If you will believe and call on the name of Jesus, you will be saved. And so though Christ died for all, you must choose personally to receive him as your Savior. A while ago, in fact, a few years ago, I went to the hospital. And there I met a man who was facing a, a serious operation. We were sitting in the waiting room before he had been called back to the prep area. And quietly and discreetly, he said to me, if this doesn't go well, I don't want to go. And then with his finger, he pointed to the floor in reference to a dreadful place called hell. He said, no, I want to go. And he used that finger to point up toward the ceiling, referencing heaven. And so I asked him, what have you done to make preparation for that? And he told me he really hadn't made preparation for that. And so I explained to him what I just explained to you. And there in that waiting area of that hospital, that gentleman bowed his head and he prayed to the Lord and he asked the Lord Jesus to be his Savior. Just moments afterwards, the nurse came through and called his name. He made his way back to the prep area to get ready for surgery. 
his wife was talking to my wife. I walked over to her and I said, I have some good news for you. Your husband just prayed and asked the Lord to be his savior. She began to weep. She began to rejoice. Not long afterwards, they came out and they called for his family to go back and, and just give him a greeting and say goodbye before the surgery. And so I went back, my wife and his wife, and we went into the room and we exchanged a few words. And then I said, well, let's pray. So we began to pray for the surgery and the doctors and all uh, that would be a part of that operation. And we asked God to deliver and work in, the, in a great way. And at the conclusion of that prayer, when I said amen, something happened. He started praying. I didn't necessarily expect to hear that. And what he prayed amazed me. I, I don't think this was a man who was in any way outspoken beforehand or who would have maybe ever led in a prayer before. It just seemed so against his old nature. But there in that hospital room, lying on that bed, that man lifted his voice when I said amen. And he began to pray. And in his prayer, he thanked the Lord for saving him. I'll never forget it. Because if I had any doubt that that man meant what he prayed in that waiting area, it was settled that day in the prep room. That man came through surgery that day. He did well. Eventually, he did what all of us are going to do. He died. But when he died, he went to heaven. He's more alive today than he's ever been because he heeded the message. Don't you think it's time to heed the message. You don't have the promise of tomorrow or the remainder of the day. This may be your last opportunity to heed his message. There's the third thing we see. This is a message that must be heard. It's the message that must be heeded. And then lastly, it's the message that must be heralded. It has to be proclaimed. It must be preached. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, those who had heard it, those who had heeded it, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's not a suggestion or a piece of advice. It is a command with an urgent desire behind it. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 10 and verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad that I was there that day when that man prayed and asked God to save him. I'm glad. But then think of those who haven't heard. How then, he says, shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? He could have never called had he not believed. And he would have never believed had less, unless he had heard. And he would have never heard 
except there were a preacher. Oh, I'm not talking about a pastor who's been to seminary. I'm talking about a Christian who knows God. Someone who's heard the message and heeded the message and knows what a difference it can make in their lives, who has conviction about the person of Christ and the need of the human soul and is willing to speak up while the rest remain silent. Are you that one? Verse 15, and how should they preach except they be sent? Well, I have some news for you. We've all been sent. All of us have been sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. This world needs glad tidings and they're not going to get it on cable news. They're not going to find it on Facebook. They're only going to find it through God's people. Now this message must be heralded and there are three reasons we see this. Number one, the command of Christ. The Lord has commanded that we do it. Number two, the condition of man. Man desperately needs to hear the message of the gospel. Let me just give you a few uh, uh, terms that the Bible gives us concerning the condition of man. Do you know that men are empty? Their life is vain and without meaning. They're aimless. They're wandering about trying to make their own way. Lost, the Bible says. Perishing, heading for death and danger. Condemned, without hope. Blind by the devil. Deceived by sin and sinful men. And on their way to an eternity without Christ. The condition of man compels us to proclaim the message of the gospel. On September 11th, 2001, those of us who remember that day were shocked. We watched with horror the video of the planes as they flew into the World Trade Center. Oftentimes I have thought about the people that were in the World Trade Center, those who were trapped in the buildings, the flames, moving up the building. No escape. The heat. The cries. The chaos. Eventually it became so overwhelming that there were people who chose to jump out of the windows of the buildings rather than, rather than face the flames. You and I have seen the videos, the pictures of those who jumped from those buildings, the awful sound that was made when they landed on the street below. And oftentimes in my thoughts, when I think about those people, facing those awful consequences, having to make that awful decision. When I think of them, I think about what was running through their mind as they fell to their death, knowing they were dying. Where did they land? You say on the pavement. No. 
They landed in one of two places. Heaven or in hell. Think of those who landed in hell. Trying to escape the flame. They only found it. Except it was worse. The condition of man compels us to make ourselves uncomfortable and to give them the message of the gospel. And we see that the command of Christ compels me and the condition of man compels me. I find something else in the Bible that is the conscience of the believer. It ought to compel me. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, he said, I want to come and see you. I want to come to Rome. You said, Paul, why in the world would you want to go to Rome? That's the place where you're going to meet your death. In verse number 14 of Romans chapter 1, he writes and says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel unto you that are at Rome also. Paul said, I have a debt to pay. As one who has heard the message, as one who has heeded the message and received the gift of eternal life, I cannot sit back and rest and watch the world perish. I must take the message of the gospel to the people of Rome. I'm a debtor. I have an obligation. I have a responsibility. In 2 Kings chapter number 7, we read of the Syrian army who besieged the city of Samaria, the capital of Israel, the ten tribes, the northern kingdom. A massive army surrounded the city. They cut off supplies in and out of the city. The people inside the city were starving to death. Dreadful things were happening there. They were eating dove's dung because there was nothing else to eat. Outside the walls of the city were some leprous men. They, they couldn't enter into the city because of their leprosy. And so they were outside the city and they were suffering the same fate as those inside. They were starving to death, but these men were lepers. They were going to die. And so they decided, well, let's go out to the camp and see if the Syrian army will have any mercy on us and feed us. What's the worst can happen? If we stay here, we're going to die. If we go to them, we might die. But then again, they may be merciful to us and they may feed us. And so let's go for it. And so they did. In 2 Kings chapter number 7, the Bible says in verse number 6, For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a, no, a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. 
When these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went in and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Imagine these lepers. They come to the camp of the Syrian army and they find they're gone. And the reason they're gone is God made them hear a noise and they got scared. and They started imagining all sorts of things. And so they just ran and left everything behind. All their food, all their wealth, they left it all in their tents. And here come the lepers. And what do they find? They find they just can go stroll right on into the, to the camp and they're looking around. Nobody's here. Hey, John, do you see anybody? No, nobody's here. They're all gone. Well, let's check out and see what's inside. And so they go inside the tent and there's a lot of food and there's a lot of silver and there's a lot of gold. And they say, well, let's go into the next tent. And they sit down, they have themselves a really nice picnic and they're enjoying it and it's wonderful. And then a thought occurs to them. In verse number nine of 2 Kings chapter seven, then they said one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. You know what happened to them? While they were eating, while they were enjoying the blessings, all that God had provided for them, they started thinking about the people back in the city eating dove stone, starving to death. And they thought, wait a minute, we can't sit here and eat this. We can't sit here and enjoy all this for ourselves. We've got to go back to the city and we've got to tell those people. And so they did. And the people of Samaria were delivered. How often do we come and enjoy the blessings of God and the benefits of his salvation without any regard for the people who are outside the camp, who need Jesus. You see, the conscience ought to compel us. We can't be silent. This is God's message. It is essential. Today, some of you have heard it, and now you need to heed it. How do you do it? By confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus, by believing in your heart, that God hath raised him from the dead. By calling upon him, he will save you. Don't delay. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Heed the message that is essential. You say, well, I've done that. Then herald it. Herald it. Submit to Christ's command. Do what God has given you to do. Proclaim the message. Think of the condition of humanity and where they're going. How can we remain silent? Our conscience convicts us. May God help us to be bold. You say, Pastor, what do I do? Well, you pray and you ask God to use you. You get, you, you, as you commune with God, as you reflect upon the truth of what he is doing in this world and the need of humanity, you ask God to stir the passions in your heart. Be faithful to declare his message. 
Seek Him for boldness and declare plainly and clearly and unashamedly the message of Christ. Be ready to give it with your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and don't cease to do it. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not teaching to preach Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.